If nobody turned that one steer the four times you ran that night, you didn't get a turn in. You just didn't get to row. <laughs> Who in the heck loans you $30,000 to go rodeo? What are you talking about? We get done. We're like, this sucks. We're still going to do it. I, I can't stand it. So I just go up to him and I, I am like, is there something wrong with your brain? So we're officially hey, going. Unoffendable. You know, yeah, that that is our that really is our man. The name of the podcast is the Flatbed Podcast, and the reason it's for that is the Flatbed is like <laughs> so. I met Ross Wagner at a camp in Montana in 2012. Um, I think the world of him. It, every time we run into each other, it just feels like old times. It feels like an old friend that I haven't known for all that long, but. Cool, team, cool barrel racing producer, uh, has a history with the development of gator ropes, and he's got ties to the Montana Silversmith. It's like everything this guy has touched has done well, and his family's had success in the industry. But uh, more specifically, I think the thing that stood out to me was his genuine interest in barrel racers and, and seeing them do well and seeing them succeed. Um, it's no surprise that his events have done so well when somebody like that's in charge. So glad for you guys to meet him and him and his beautiful wife, Casey. We're excited to have Ross on the podcast. We try not to ask for a lot, but to be honest, the rate and review on these podcasts make a giant difference. You hear it all the time, rate and review. It really does help us be found by more people. We're loving it. We're loving the processes. We're loving the conversations that we're getting to have, and it would be a huge help to us if you could help us continue that by clicking on the rate and review when you open the Flatbed Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the partners and the sponsors of the Flatbed Podcast. Take a minute, hear what they got to say. You guys, check out the ropingcalendar.com. There's an app in all of the stores, whether it's Apple, whether you've got an Android, whatever the case may be, search Roping Calendar. This is the fastest way to find only the information that you're looking for. I know that Arizona can be chaotic. There can be a lot going on. The most comprehensive, up-to-date list of the events that you can find in Arizona are at Roping Calendar. Check it out in the App Store. Check out the website. You can search by date, you can search by location, you can search by event, you can even search by jackpot number. So say you're looking for a specific number of jackpot, you click on that tab, it'll take you only to the flyers that have what you're looking for. Ropingcalendar.com is the website, Roping Calendar in the App Store. It is the fastest growing website in Arizona for roping related events. 300,000 page views in its first winter, over 40,000 unique users. Find what you're looking for at the Roping Calendar. If you have any interest in buying or selling or renting or anything real estate related in the world's hottest equine real estate market, Wickenburg, Arizona, I am talking to Erin Freeman. Make her your first stop. Absolutely. We're here to help. That's who we work with. We love our team ropers. We love our barrel racers. We love our ropers, rainers. All those guys, we love our horse people. Where do people find the higher producing real estate agent known as Aaron Freeman? Uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. We're on all of them. Aaron Freeman Properties, Aaron Freeman Realtor on TikTok. You're, uh, are you down here later than normal or is this? Yes, I am. So, have you done a podcast before? No. It's about a fist somewhere in there. It and is. they pick up okay. yeah, somewhere in there. Be uh, good. I got you. Um, is this going to be the new norm staying this late or is this this year, just this year? Yeah. Yeah. Things are changing. Uh, so, us too. Right. I'm curious. I'm curious where you guys are at, but right. So what I'm noticing is that the first time we came down here for two weeks, so what everybody does, you come down for two weeks. Next mm-hmm. time you come back for a month, you start looking for a house, and then what I'm now noticing is since COVID, the season's lasting longer. People are getting here a little bit earlier, staying a little bit later. Like right. our neighborhood has year rounders. Right. Um, what's happening with you guys? Is keeping you here later this year? So um, we 
uh, you'll be the first to know. Um, breaking news. It's breaking news. Yeah. Uh, we sold our barrel racing association. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. When? Uh, so a month ago, it becomes official June 1st. No kidding. So it's just changed. A lot of our life is changing. And, <laughs> I'd and, say. Uh, God's taken us in yeah, a lot of different directions. That's why we're kind of down here a little longer. So for people that may not know, because that changes the whole course of my, I mean. The right. Whole, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. whole trajectory. Right. You guys started from the ground up with. Correct. The, Selling a card. It's all about your various and championships. Um, yeah. There, I mean, there's a whole story on that as far as, you know, the name and how it came to be and my parents in the Western industry. So it was a lot easier to get in the doorways to the national sponsors and all that. So I, I was looking before you came in, mm -hmm. it, your, your event in the 4th of July last year paid out $1.225 million. Uh, the whole, total, right? the, the, the whole, payout. The, the four majors. Yeah. Yeah. That event over the 4th of July was a, a quarter of a million, $250,000 event. Yeah. Right. Right. So it wasn't like these are small barrel races. We're not talking about like the backyard jackpots. These were, actual produced big events right so that's the big time that's a separate entity that we just started last year that was the first year of that okay the ubrc is actually a different is an association see this is different umbrella I, I, so I, it sold we still own the big times those are not going into bigger markets gotcha. so facility wise you right. get the deal right so yeah. instead of putting on more you're putting right. on fewer and better correct so you're not getting out of the barrel race no business. not at all no it's 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 uh man i get up in the morning and uh, I go to thanking God, and then I go to thinking about how can I make barrel racing better. So we had we had Yost in here. I guess it's been two weeks ago now, mm -hmm. and he was talking about his family. He right. grew up in the crow's nest, and right. so have you read the book Outliers by yeah. Malcolm Gladwell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the ten thousand hour yeah. rule. When you see someone's success like that, and then you go, oh, and by the way, this is all I've ever done my whole life. You go, oh, okay, right, right. It, okay, I get it. Uh -huh. It makes sense. Uh huh. Um, a guy in your position yeah. doing what you're doing and, and it's going well, obviously it's yeah. going well. Yeah. How did it zero to zero to success is, you know, it takes a lifetime to build an overnight success. Right. How did it get to, how did you become a barrel racing producer? So just real easy and to the point, uh, my folks used to own Gator Rope Company. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're one of three up there. Um, and where know, was that? Where were Gator Ropes out of? So out of Helena, Montana. Yep. Yep. And, and so it sold in, in uh, 1998. Um, so, uh, obviously went through Jake and clay with, with, uh, their seven world titles as endorsees, uh, speed Williams was on uh, with us when he went to the finals healing. And then he was on with us. Um, the head hunter was a gray head rope that, uh, you know, he won his world championships with up until his last couple of years. And then he went to fastback, which is right when we sold. So I, and that's new. So that's a, yeah, being that's a, being a calf roper. Too. I just always right. thought of speed as being a fastback guy. So right. he was gator before that. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, that, that story too, and I'll get back to the, but real fast, like speed would, would order the ropes. We'd send, or my, my, my mom and the, the girls in the office would send those ropes to Florida. He would bury them in the ground <laughs> and let them cure. And it, it was the right temperature. Mm -hmm. um, he had us uh, make some, and I don't know the for sure length. It was maybe 15, 18 feet, but he called them ghost riders. He didn't have a coil and he'd run in there close and actually rope them horns for a reacher guy like that. But he wanted right. to obviously Keep learn his how horses to, working, uh, yeah, yeah. Try, to, try to rope the horns right there. But with with owning the rope company, so he would he would back in the box, mm -hmm. full horse, full steer, yeah. real contact with yeah. a 15, 18 foot rope. Yeah, whatever that was right there, and and would you know do that? And <laughs> and I never saw it. it was just things that, you know, uh, my mom had had you know told me what they were doing you know back then. Right. So I grew up Adjacent. totally Adjacent. the rope industry. You know, 
being in a family that owned a rope company and just, you know, having all the booze at the high school finals, the college finals, all that right there. Well, and a rope company is, is in a sense, a promotions company because right. every rope feels kind of good. I mean, right. everybody's got preferences. Absolutely. You know, and, yeah. and there, I have a rope that I use that I really, really like. Yeah. But if you were to hand me any rope hanging on the wall at NRS right now, right. you can use it. Right. So what... In my in my assessment, you can tell me if you think I'm right. You were in the promotional business mm-hmm. all the way back from the beginning. It was building ropes, but you're promoting your ropes, and like you said, the indoor season, all that. So promotions was a part of that all along. Right. So the hanging gator off the off the eye of the rope that that almost everybody had. They were you know color coded with the layers of the rope right there. Um, the first rope to be the official rope of the PRCA, and then of course Cactus took that over, um, kind of right there when 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 my folks sold again right there. When you sold, did a bigger rope company buy? So Steve Geisler, that uh, Rocky Mountain Ropes. Oh, yeah. They're in Idaho Falls. Yep. That, that's who got my folks started. Um, my dad was, was a sales rep and and uh, was working an account right there, um, I believe at Steve's store, and asked if uh, asked my dad if my mom would like to own a rope company. And my dad drove home and said, hey, you want to you know, own a rope company? You know, Steve's going to get us going. They spun the bodies in Idaho, then they would ship them to Montana. Do you think – do you think – if you're if you're to ask them and they would answer honestly, <clears throat> knowing what you know about the science of building ropes mm-hmm. and how picky people mm-hmm. really are, do you think if they were to go back to that point of inception and go, hey, do you want to buy a rope company? Do you think they still would have done it, or do you think they would have gone like, ugh, we had no idea what we were getting into? No, I think they would have done it just knowing my mom's makeup and and just the way that you know she's she's built and then went on to. You know, do real good with Montana Silversmiths, but just that, I, I think she dang sure would have done it because it's just interesting. Challenge, yeah. yeah, and just the percentage, the nylons and the polys, and just, uh, you know, all the people that she met. I mean, it started out in our basement where she was answering phones, and one afternoon, um, a guy calls up and says, "Hey, I want to order some ropes," and she says, "You bet." And what's your name? And he says, "George Strait," and she goes, "Yeah, right. I'm Tanya Tucker." <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> and then he, he said, "No, I'm, I'm really George Strait." Yeah, he he called. Yep. And she said, yeah, right. I'm Tanya Tucker. And it's a true story that she still tells and, and it's real. So it's, it's crazy that way. But so I had a, a buddy from the Northwest. He's living in Oklahoma now and he was building pig and strings yeah. forever. And, and it was in the pig and string deal. There's Willard and Lyle. Lyle's kind of a big one. Um, but Sean Webb was building them. And it was amazing to me seasonally yeah. as he would change just little adjustments. And like you would you know, you'd rodeo with them for a month and then you'd call and like, he really enjoyed the process of how do they hold up? How do they right. last? How do I make them harder? Cause to make a, a rope hard enough yep. is not easy. Right. There, it's easier to make a soft rope, to right. make a hard rope and same with picking strings. And so that was kind of an eye opener for me was how much science goes into stuff like that. And so to get it right to the point that people are willing to pay money for your product yeah, is a giant accomplishment that most people would not know to celebrate. Right. I mean, you go to NRS right now, there's, 25,000 rope yeah. company, everybody's building one and you kind of, it's like, it's the base layer. It's, it should be good now, but it, man, that's not easy. There's a, there's a no, lot to that. No, I mean, you know, from the Braves to Kurt Matthews, you know, to Barry Berg, um, Paul Sullivan, all these big Kings out there that, that know the makeup and the percentages and how to make these ropes, but you're right. Um, they all have, they all feel good. You know, you can find something in them right there, but the makeup of them and the way that they are, um, just put together it's a it's a real science and now i know you know for the pros to go in to these rope shops and and you know we call it flare but now they call it kick or whatever you know mm-hmm. if, if you want a rope to turn over or you kind of want a little backswing where you got to kind of break it over i mean you know it's just a, a personal preference for everybody but right. for those guys the way that they have to coil those ropes right so when you drop them out of those ties and you drop they your fall right you had to fall right where you want it you know where that rope's going to go basically you can feel that in your swing and how old were they when you how old were you when they started that so i would have been uh how old are you now 
Psalm 42, we sold it in, in 98, right when I was graduating high school and going to college that first year. Uh, so, I mean, I grew up with it for yeah. however many years. It was, you know, uh, a, a huge part of my life. And, and I, uh, you know, at first I, I really missed it and, uh, you know, just liked being in that did feeling. It, did it I feel like it. the rope company was kind of your door into the culture? Yeah, like, for, for sure. I mean, I, you know, and that's where I got the producing deal. I mean, I had the the coolest I thought of, of rope and dummies. And so I'd go to the high school finals and, and I had the, the best one and I was there producing right. and, you know, just going crazy. And I try to give me a hundred teams, everybody five bucks. And just, that's where it right. got my bug right there. And then producing those, you know, um, the U S ropes that my folks did and, and everybody else up there. So back to the, like the UBRC of getting and being a producer, you know, I announced my first U S rope when I was 14. Um, did that in, in Dillon, Montana for JB Anderson. And, uh, Man, I thought these guys are going to pay me to talk, and I like to hear myself talk, so I thought it was a pretty good deal. <laughs> and then from there, it took off. And so two years ago, we needed some help in the office, and all the ropeins that we put on in the Northwest are like the lower numbered ropeins, older mm-hmm. steers. It's they're great ropeins. My my all time favorite ropein in the world is the number seven with World Series numbers, right? Because it's one and a short, and like people hanging over the fences, yelling and screaming and excited, yeah. like get a leg and dally runs on the hillside. Nobody cares. I mean, it's right. It's, it's a fun environment. But, uh, so I was helping out in the office that day and I announced the team open the whole day. Yeah. And to be completely honest, as honest as I know how to be, I was just talking crap all day. Like <laughs> yeah. somebody would miss, but, Oh, how do you get out of that one? And like, I don't know everybody. I mean, I've, right. I've been up there. I know all the guys, right. It's right? like Tyus when he gets on the back of the mic. So yeah. I, and it's just, it, it's just trying to try to keep the tempo up. You right. know, we, we prepare people early in the day of like, Hey, at the end of the day, we're stopping with the seven ropens, my favorite rope. And I don't care if we have to cancel everything else. We're having that rope. And, yeah. you know, so if a steer goes real slow, you're on the microphone, you get to dictate the narrative. You go, Hey, how do you guys, you guys give me thumbs up or thumbs down. Should that one go in the number seven pin? Cause we're sorting steers. For okay. The seven. So, so it's just interactive. It's just, and I've, you know, having uh, in my past, haven't been a youth pastor, yeah. and, you know, you, you kind of know how to keep people's attention. Right. Anyway, my point being, <laughs> I just talked all day. That yeah. was it. I just sat there on the mic, you're entering numbers and all this stuff. I get done. The first one, like, I just, I thought it, I, it never even crossed. Remember on, uh, on, uh, Anchorman when he reads the teleprompter and tells yeah, and San Diego go after yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. And then he's just going about his business and everything. Everybody's face is just dropped and he has no idea what's happening. <laughs> do, do, do. That's exactly. I walked out of the <laughs> office and everybody's like, dude, you're really good at that. And I'm like, what yeah. are you talking? It never, I wasn't like I was looking for any sort of a compliment. Right. It didn't occur to me that that was like a benefit mm-hmm. to the rope. And I was just up there cause somebody had to be right. And it kind of turned into a thing where people were like, man, you're really good at announcing team rope. And I'm like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, same thing. It's just, you're just narrating you're what saying. you're seeing happen. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So 14. Yeah. That's early for now. Yeah, that's early. Yeah. That's early. Not even knowing really what, you know, I mean, like, hold the microphone up to the, the speaker of the, you know, CD plan, plan and yeah. then go back to your mouth with it right there. Didn't yeah. have, you know, so that yeah. was it. The team up and DJ. <laughs> right. That was it in a real awkward way. Did you, did you kind of catch on like at that point that oh yeah talking might be part of what you're into? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, out to the Northwest for, uh, you know, Rick Galloway back in the day and, and then just, uh, yeah, getting gigs that way. Where in the Northwest did you go? So, like, uh, right there at Spokane and stuff and oh, West yeah. Valley Farms and all those and, and you know, um, back to Montana and just announced around there and just took off from there. Was roping something you really liked to do or was it just being around it? No, I mean, I, th- I mean, thousand percent. Had a little kid's rope. I mean, rope my mom's inside leg. Oh, yeah. And then I pull back 
and then she's got to drop the flag and give me this, give me the straight sign right there. <laughs> just eat up with it. Yeah, early I mean, on. Uh, yeah, just like you, just like you know, every kid out there that, that we see now, just blowing and going. Do you feel like you need to warn that kid who loves team roping, like, don't get too involved with the production because there's nothing that will make you hate team roping faster than being a part of whether it's cattle, whether it's production, running the office flag, whatever it is. It seems like that's where you see people lose their passion for team roping the very fastest is when you're in on the business end of it. Yeah, and I know, you know, for me, um, you know, the 06, the 07, uh, got in, started uh, working for the Wrangler Opens for Dennis Trine and all that. Um, And right there, I was getting married. And then the UBRC, we got that started in 07. Um, and, And I know in the last probably five or six years, um, no desire to yeah. even rope a steer. It, it has no, I mean, I could go brand calves all day. You, you say that, and I mean, I, I believe yeah. you, but at the same time, you guys just sold a little roan heel horse at the Rancho Rio sale right. did really well on. So it's not like you guys have completely disconnected from it. No. You're just saying there's not that drive and that excitement for, for me it. to go compete. Yeah. Now I can be at home and, and love it that way. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's just on the competition side of that. Just, right. yeah. So, Bold strategy here, Cotton. Mm-hmm. You go from the frying pan of team rope and culture, mm-hmm. and jump straight into the fire of the barrel racing. Right. How did the How did this? Where? Like, at what point? Right. Did you Did you in your mind, when you're doing all the stuff that you're talking about with the team roping and announcing at 14 and all this mm-hmm. growing up, in your mind, did you see an opportunity in barrel racing and were looking to get into it, or was it completely out of nowhere? No. So uh, I always had a a love of watching it. I say everybody, most everybody loves a horse race, you know? Right. So growing up, uh, my sister, was, Tiffany, always had real good barrel horses. And, you know, I always watched her. Shout out, Tiffany. No, yeah. She, well, she told me I had to tell everybody how cool she was on here. That's the last <laughs> thing she told me before I walked in the door. That's not hard. Everybody right. knows Tiffany agrees with yeah. that. <laughs> it's all good. So in college, then I thought, man, I really started watching it. And I liked it. And then it was the fall of 06. I'm at a barrel race in uh, Belgrade, Montana. Um, we got a, a booth there. I'm selling some saddles and, you know, kind of doing a little tax store with my wife and that's right. it. And I'm, I mean, I just think I was sitting, I remember I was sitting on a, on a, uh, cactus barrel saddle and I was just watching out there and I'm kind of people watching everything. And, and, and I know it was like, man, God, you know, just said, here's your passion, go put on barrel racing. It's like, you see this and, and you like production, you like barrel racing, Sure. but can I wrap the arena? Can I turn the music up? Can I make it my own little flair? Right. right. Yes. So that was October. I got with my folks. By January 1st, I'm in Denver market. I'm meeting with all these national sponsors. By March of that next, of you know, two months later in March, my wife are back in that same arena because I knew the ground was good. I knew the mm-hmm. deal. Night before, we're going to go. I mean, my wife can't sleep. I can't sleep. We're, look, we're thinking, man, can we do this? Because we got people that are going to spend hard-earned money to drive here and put their faith in, in right. Ross and Casey right. show. Right. Like, do they kind of know what they're doing? Well, and they, they say that, the physical, the physical study of a body says everything that triggers in your brain, all the neurons, all of the excitement, all the adrenaline, everything that the, the human body goes through mm-hmm. with excitement mm-hmm. is exactly mirrored in fear. It's no different. Okay. So yeah. not that they are the same, right? but they feel exactly the same. And right. so it is so easy in those moments. I, I hope people listening would understand that sometimes what we feel like is like anxiety yeah. is excitement. And it's only choosing it. It's literally the decision to go, no, this is what I... Right. This is what I'm excited for. Yeah. What I'm feeling isn't that I'm afraid it's going to fail. It's I'm excited for what it could do. Yeah. Man. And I mean. And that's and that's true. And I and I and I wrote it down and said I'm going to have 300 people at every barrel race, and I'm going to do that. You know, just yeah. trying to, you know, 
not force it, but just have it out there, you know? Right. And when 60 or 80 showed up that first year and that first year out of the gate, we said, we're going to give a truck away. <laughs> and just started small. <laughs> just started. Yeah. And, you know, heard a little, you know, the noise in the background. Are they really going to do it? That truck went to every event and that truck was given away. I mean, it, you know, did you take a bath on it? No, I, it you know, no, it, it worked. You know, I mean, we had the, you know, the right deal with, with, uh, you know, the, the Dodge dealership there and, and, and yep. it worked. And, and, you know, I mean, I had help from my folks and everything, but it was something you could see, but I wanted to kind of jump out there and, sure. and really do something because that's just my personality. And what, what is that? And I, I don't know if I have it or not, but you see people who've got a desire to do things at a level I think ever let me say this. I think everybody would like to do things at a level, but then you also see people who are able to actually accomplish that. Mm -hmm. What drives in your mind? What drives that in a person to go? I don't just want to put on a barrel race. Mm -hmm. I have a desire to do it well and then to follow through with it because that that's the magic right there is to right. then be able to follow through with it. Why not just put on a little barrel race to right. see if it was something you liked? Yep. And I th at first, I didn't probably know that I was wanting to bail out there like I did. You know, I probably didn't recognize that. In, in the back of my mind, but now as the years have changed and I see how hard these girls and guys work and, mm -hmm. and, and it's in all the sports, but for me, just understanding the barrel racers as well as I can, man, they're, they love their horses. I mean, they're so into yeah. this thing, but seeing them at the end of the day, I mean, a girl that, that maybe comes to me prior to like a show and says, man, I just want to run an 18 flat today on biscuit. So I already know what she's thinking in her right. mind. Right. So for me to speak life into her and, and to be able to know that she's got something in her back corner when she comes in that arena, maybe she doesn't, maybe she doesn't. But if she does, I already, you know, I kind of know what I'm kind of trying to tell her right. in, in the back of her mind. Right. Now I got these other girls that maybe don't tell me what they want to do, but after they make their run, they're Jersey Shore fist pumping, they're screaming, they're hollering. <laughs> they just ran an 18-7. They are telling you yes. that is what they do. And I'm going to get on that and yeah. I'm going to get after right there and, and, you know, give them that, the stuff. But so. I think it's easy for people. I, I mean, I grew up rodeoing, and I will yeah. I will be flat honest. I had zero interest in barrel racing mm -hmm. the whole time. It has only been probably since I quit roping calves and started team roping, and I, I love head horses. I'm right. such a fan of it. I love racehorses. Yeah. I really like the I like the confirmation of a racehorse. Mm -hmm. I think the prettiest horses in the world are racehorses. Right. When you start thinking of barrel racing now, like I said, as a as a looking for head horses and confirmation, yep. and now all of a sudden you're paying attention to bloodlines and right, it's like out of nowhere all of a sudden barrel racing all of a sudden starts to make sense to me because you're like, oh, that's I kind of forget it's a race. You right. as stupid as that sounds because there's a clock, but it's only one horse. Right. It would be like a horse race. You get out there and you watch one horse race down the track, and you're like, okay, yeah, and then another one, okay, and you kind of can f lose mm -hmm. perspective. Mm -hmm. Um. Just in the last few years, the cameras that compare the two runs right. together yeah. when you watch it on yeah, TV. Yeah, they're ghosting each other. As crazy as it mm -hmm. sounds, it's like, it's like oh, it's a horse race. Right. You, you, I almost feel dumb admitting that. How do you take that experience? Like you're saying, the girl that's Jersey Shore fist bumping. Right. How do you try to introduce that to a sponsor that's going like barrel racing and it's encapsulated into this little tiny bubble and what you're seeing is all the life. Right. I mean, it's a biosphere. Mm-hmm. Do you try to bridge that gap for the sponsors? Well, yeah. I mean, I I, I know for me, I feel like the sponsors are, are probably buying me first and foremost, you know, thinking, well, we're going to put some money into this guy and his goals and his dreams, right. and then he can go ahead and, and come with a great product, right? That makes sense. You know, um, it, if I'm, you know calling Billy Bray every year and, and working with classic equine. And then I see her, you know, maybe two times a year right there, you know, she's buying my deal and, and I'm saying it's going real good. And, you know, obviously it's 
truth if I'm saying it right there, but sure. um, for these sponsors to then back and understand if they come to not just me, but all these, you know, 5D barrel racings, the one are, are, that are trying to really up the game, then the productions are pretty tight, right? It, it's on time. It looks good. They got right. all the right, you know, ingredients to make it really good. So I think, and then to understand that the barrel racing, it's social though. Okay. The girls want to yeah. go there. They want to run their horse, but they also want to hang out, cheer for each other, and then go eat Mexican food that night, you know, and talk about it, whether they is whacked that, all three of them down or they won the 2D. Do you give cases of beer for hitting all three barrels? Or you know, it- I, I don't. And, I, you know, it's <laughs> it should be some sort of party foul right there. Yeah. So is that is it changing? Because I, I, what I don't know, this is what I don't know. I don't know if I base barrel racing on my personal experience where I grew up mm-hmm. or if what I grew up with was actually barrel racing. Do you see the culture of barrel racing growing in inclusivity less grouchiness because that was kind of the that was kind of the the overarching like eh, right you know barrel racers right does it seem like that that's changing yeah yeah i I do i I just think everybody's more professional they're uh you know wanting to show up and and obviously there's there's real money to be won now okay so real quick do you think that the atmosphere that you set mm-hmm. at your events mm-hmm. also sets the atmosphere for the people coming in? Like even maybe people that would be a little prone to be a little grouchy, right. they find themselves in a professional environment and maybe kind of rise to that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that that's one of our goals. I mean, f- first it's safe ground, and then after that it's just making sure that when they, they show up there they feel like they're at, you know, the event. Do you have regional dirt guys here's what i'm asking there's mm-hmm. a guy named colton uh yeah. when we were running alvarado yeah that that guy's like he loves yeah, he's, it yeah like, I mean, some people wake up and talk about fishing and they have fishing posters on their walls right. other people they have a sports team like i really think colton mm-hmm. probably keeps like samples of dirt in his room that he can just like smell when he wakes up yeah. he loves it and he's good at it he's and he gets all the you know a lot of the majors down there he's the man he's got the gig so do you try to like if you're gonna if you're about to set up big events now yeah. like you're saying do you start by finding that guy and then building around the facilities or do you find the facility and then try to go find the guy? No, well, I, if I'm going to find the facility, I'm going to find out if that ground, you know, either they got somebody that, that either knows their stuff and there's a background. I'm not going to guinea pig any place. Yeah. So I'm, I, I'm going to make sure that it's, you know, safe first and fast second, you know, and then go from there to be able to get that team for a regional guy or whatever it takes. So Laura Lambert was putting on some barrel races there last year yeah. when we were there. Um, we did a one-year lease there. It was awesome. It mm-hmm. was a great year. We mm-hmm. didn't renew it. It was busier than we wanted to be. Right. But she, she like, obsessed about ground. Her and Colton worked it out. And at the exact same time, another barrel race, you know, 50 miles south of us, right. it went real bad. Yeah. Like, they had just some disastrous stuff. And the talk around there was stuff I'm learning, stuff you learn as you go. Right. But the talk around there was like that will kill an event. Mm-hmm. That in that region and that group of people, that bad dirt experience, you right. don't just bounce back from it. No, I mean social media it's too fast right there too. It's they're gonna know Oof. in ten seconds. Right. Right. It's so just, you know, somebody breaks a leg. Yeah. Which I think actually did happen. Yeah. Um, not to name names, is it because yeah. cause Colton's point was it changes so much regionally. Right. That a guy who's really good with dirt up here with a good implement and has a good tractor and has all the right tools and stuff, he comes down and because of the moisture or right. the, I mean, it's, it's not. So I guess what I was trying to say is when you say good dirt, mm-hmm. you say it kind of casually moving on to a different point. My point is that's not a small thing. No. That is, that's like, will make or break the entire uh, event. A hundred percent. There's a, there's a big difference between, you know, Arizona and Montana outside and inside, you know, there's, 
even the covered arenas down here in Arizona, there's a difference. You know, you, you have to pay attention. So inevitably, you know, being a team open producer, we're going to have a steer that ducks. We're right. going to have a set of cattle. We're going to have a computer that crashes. Right. There's, you're going to have those moments <laughs> where suboptimal scenario, right? Where you right. think you wanted to go this way and it goes that way. There's, I, I don't think anybody would say they haven't experienced that. Right. Um, what, what does a guy do? You prepare all you can. Failures are what prepare you, I think, you know, for the next one to be even more prepared. But right. in, inevitably, there's going to be those moments. Yeah, for sure. How do, you, how do you proceed in those moments? When everybody sees, like, oh, crap, this isn't exactly how we had it planned. Right. What's the plan of attack to keep it from going viral? I think just doing whatever, you know, to take care of the the situation right there, okay? Horses are going to slip, um, you know, and, and our horse is going to run and they're strung out. There's a difference. Which, by the way, is not dirt. Right. There are horses right. that strung are just going to do it. Right. Yeah. Front end, not picking up on the bridle reins. There's a difference. And, and I, you know, my wife and I, you know, she jokes about this a lot, man. She, you know, if Ross, if you're going to get them too turned up right there, you know, and, and I, them girls, they come just, they're I mean, just too they're excited. coming in hot. <laughs> I don't know that, but, but I'm trying to get right. them to peak yeah. performance. I want right. them and, right. and I'm going to, you know, you know, hopefully be as prepared as we can be that you can send your horse in there and win something, you know, if I'm going to ask you for $1,500 entry fees, sure. then we're going to try our dangdest, you know, to right. make sure that it's right. Right. But yeah, when, when we run into those things, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, being able to have our staff, you know, ready to take care of whatever we need to take care of, you know, yeah. it, 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 if we muck one out right there, um, immediately, if, if it's, if the girls didn't see in the office or whatever, I'm calling Casey or Carrie and Casey's your wife. Right. And Carrie's worked for us, you know, for the last 15 years. It's one of them girls that's come, come out of that office and go make sure that we need to, you know, do whatever we need to do yeah. um, to make sure that, you know, she's comfortable, the horse, whatever we need to do that way. How do you, I mean, I don't want to just focus on conflict. I think the world has enough of it. Right. It's nice to focus on the positive. But that being said, how do you get through? Because if somebody puts up money, any amount, it could be five bucks. Right. They feel a sense of ownership to a set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. Anybody. I mean, if I, if, if you were to go play hand of blackjack right. at a casino for $5, mm -hmm. you expect that the playing field is going to be, even, or whatever yes. the case may be. Yes. So there, that means that you're going to get conflict or complaints yes. that are not well-founded. Right. People come up and go, that was your fault. And realistically, you've done this long enough to be able to know the difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, that was my fault. I'm sorry. We'll make mm -hmm. it right. Yep. How do you, who's the one that takes conflict better? You or Casey? Um, I, Probably me, I think there's just a difference, um, you know, in our personalities. And then now dealing with, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but 99%, I mean, they're women, right, that, mm -hmm. that I work for. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they think differently. It's just a different type of person than if I was dealing with a Bunch guy. guy team just because, yeah, we're, sure. we're all wired yep. like that. So there's Are you right suggesting there. that there are gender differences? Because oh. this is 2020. Right. <laughs> right. Keep going. I'm uh, joking. <laughs> no, it, it's just, uh, yeah, just our, our personalities and stuff. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the calls or I'm going to, you know, you know, chat with the person, whatever the situation is, and try to diffuse it. And Does it run off your back? Because I know, I know that for what we do for work, if somebody just has a complaint out of left field, it rolls off my back. Right. Like sociopathic levels. Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't think about it. If I really believe I've done everything I can do, right. it just doesn't bug me. Right. Lacey, my wife, mm -hmm. it really it eats at her. Even mm -hmm. if she knows she's right, mm -hmm. conflict eats at her. Yep. Um, I, I think 
I think I admire a couple that could go through what you guys go through, stay married, mm-hmm. still keep doing what you're doing. And actually, you know, you're selling your association, you're moving into bigger and better things. You've figured out a way to navigate the the human interaction of that. Right. And I agree with you right there. I, th- I think, you know, that's just how we are too, right? You know, and we're together every day like you guys are for the most part, you know, and, and trying to work as a team. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to, I'm going to let it roll off my back, but also, I mean, I'm a, I got a, I mean, if it's a loud bark, but not much bite, I mean, I'm pretty sensitive to that kind of stuff. I mean, I want to, I, I just want it to be right. Yeah. Whatever well, it is. And that's, I think anybody, even in the moment of being angry, if you're, if you really are trying to do it right, right. Even the maddest person is going to recognize that. Yes. Because there are times where I've been to jackpot team opens and it looks like they unloaded the re-ride bulls. <laughs> and they know they're wrong. They know they're wrong. Right. They're not trying to do it right. They're trying to save money. And those conflicts, the the, the team ropers, I, I'm not one to fight with a cattle guy. That's, I'm, I'm not. I'm yeah, not, yeah, yeah. You know. But yeah. I'm as sympathetic as anybody. Uh-huh. But when you see somebody call BS on somebody and the person knows they're wrong, yeah. the nature of that conflict is different because they know they're caught. Right. They know they're wrong. Whereas when somebody's like, hey, I, I'm, I'm genuinely doing my mm-hmm. dead level best, mm-hmm. it seems like that. You know, even if somebody, you know, says what they want to say, they'll, they'll drop it faster. They'll right. let it go because they know it's – people are trying to make it right. get it right. Right. So um, I've never – my own experience is I've never felt like I've had a hometown. Like we've mm-hmm. lived places yeah. before, but like rodeo and you're always gone. You, right. got, you, know, you know how this is. You're always gone. You're always traveling. Um, like my friend group was at the rodeos on the weekends. Right. Home was always the most isolating place in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm now 40 raising our kids, they're playing sports, and I'm I'm figuring out what having a hometown feels like. Now, right. the church is still in Oregon, yep. so if you're listening to this and you go to the church, don't panic. <laughs> you're not ducking we, out. No, what we've done is I've taken a step over. Um, Katie and Kyle, they're at home. They've taken over the day-to-day operations, yep. which, by the way, I wasn't ever very good at it anyway. Right, it's a so it's better upgrade. just to have it's you the heck out of there. complete upgrade. Yeah. I'm still home some. It's an yeah. easy flight, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, I love, I love Wickenburg. Right. I feel like this is like must be kind of what a hometown is would feel like for sure so when i first got and i've only been here for five years but when i first got here it was team ropers only right there was some other stuff but really i mean the the dominating element was older retired yeah. community team ropers right and that was five years ago fast forward to today you've got a ton of young people yeah you've got a ton of girls break away every single day of the yep. week there's a barrel race you can go to right did you guys how long have you guys been here doing the barrel racing thing so um Three years now. Um, yeah, and, and that was where, you know, I came down here in 06. Um, my dad went, we went to a Krispy Kreme there in, in, in Billings and um, was sad. I was heartbroken and lost my girlfriend and just didn't know what I was going to do. And he said, You want to go to Arizona? So I, you know, I said, Yeah. So I loaded up and went to Arizona. And what year is this? If you're, do you remember? This is 06. Okay. Yep. So right. I'm, I'm just uh, trying to, figure it out so i end up in tucson at uh bo pierce is one of my great friends and then you know i had some people that we knew from from missoula and cave creek so i kind of bounced around here and felt it you know and and was over you know at uh, beaver birds where you know they were roping that was the only place to go right, right? everybody who's been in here has mentioned beaver bird he yeah. is a giant part of the community yeah to- totally i mean that that's the only one i mean I, yeah saturdays you know, and tuesdays that's Rincon it road that's yeah. it so we would just drive over here and rope or i'd go to to Benson Bar down there at Benson, Arizona, how they mm-hmm. have mealy ropings, and and that was the deal. So um, then we fast forward, and, and Casey, I came down here for a, a couple of winters, and um, 
worked for Corky Iron and and did that for you know a winter and just kind of felt it out. But then we finally got to a spot where we, you know, it was, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. It was, it was literally 50 below in Montana, like true. Unreasonable. Yes. And, and, and I said, I'm, we got to go find something in, in Arizona. Yeah. So we flew down here. I, well, and, and so and had to start doing something to that point. Yeah. I don't know that people, I think of like if I lived in a cul-de-sac or if I lived on a golf course somewhere. Yeah. And it's 50 below. Mm-hmm. It would be inconvenient. Like, right. I wouldn't love it. I don't think I could ever love 50 below. But right. the level of inconvenience is manageable. Yeah. The thought of somebody moving due to weather mm-hmm. in those circumstances would be hard to understand. Mm-hmm. But when you're feeding or you own horses yeah, yeah, or yeah. You're, you, you are oriented to things that happen outside. So for me in Oregon, and Oregon's not as bad as Montana at all, but right. so many things just shut down and the days were short. And yeah. I was still feeding horses and I was still out in it, but you weren't getting that, like you said, that social interaction. Right. And to try to explain that to somebody makes me feel like kind of a sissy. I, I, if I'm trying to explain, like, I felt like my life was falling apart. I felt like that I wasn't a good version of myself being stuck in the house all winter. Yeah. Again, I hear you say like, hey, it was 50 blow. We had to get out there. I deeply understand that. Mm-hmm. I would hope that people listening maybe that are not in that culture or environment it's a giant deal to be stuck inside and still feel like your animals are stuck out there in it. Yeah. And that, I mean, I was over and, and you know, the deal, I mean, growing up, I mean, we, it's just different up North than, than down South. It's, you know, it's just different, you know, the, the cold and the hot and whatever. I mean, the hot down here, I, I don't, I wouldn't get that. Right. Yeah. As the cold up there, we just understand it's just different how we have to do things. Well, and I grew up in Fort Worth, and so yeah. I, I wasn't accustomed to having seasons where everything shut down. I, it, there's something to do year-round there. Right. I was year-round mindset, and then you move to Oregon, and it's not that way. You change your seasons right. based on seasons. And so maybe if I had been raised there, mm-hmm. it, it would have just been a preference. Mm-hmm. But like, it felt like it was like sucking the life out of me yeah. to rope once a week yeah. in a little barn. with a gr- and, and I want to be careful here. Mm-hmm. I feel like I need to clarify what I just said because mm-hmm. there are people that are still up there right. that do great. Absolutely, they, they do fine. The right. ropings do good. The people yeah. are fine. They, it's not. It's not that I'm right and they're wrong. Right. That's not even what I'm trying to indicate. Yep. What I'm trying to say is, I felt like I wasn't surviving in it. Right. Personally, just at a personal level. Yeah. yeah. So when I would come to Arizona, there's a little like wooden looking gas station just north of Vegas out there on the highway. Yeah. And I remember pulling over there, and it would be like 50 degrees yeah. in the winter, and just feeling like. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can breathe. Right. Like I'm outside, right. and I don't feel like I'm being punished for it. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's how I feel. Every time I get to Mesquite, that's kind of my spot where I step out, and I'm like, okay, Made this it. is, yeah. But like you said, I mean, people live up there and do great, and that's still home, and I, and, and to, to service events up there and still have, you know, the barrel racings, um, it, it's, it's a great thing. And growing up in those barns, you know, like we did, and having to cool them horses out mm-hmm. and the, the stuff, there's more time and just more. Um, I, I wouldn't change it. I mean, it, it's just right. I know it. I get it. Well, Johnny Emmons one time said yeah. he thinks that's why the calf roping horses are typically better and last longer from other places in the north because they do get that big break. They do get the big rests. And right. that mentally, there's a disadvantage to year-round. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a burnout rate to the year-round thing. Mm-hmm. So I, there, there's, I, I could see either way. Right. I, mean, I, I get it. Right. So you come down here. What was your first year with Casey down here? Do not skip. You're about to hear from some people who have partnered with the podcast. We'd love you to hear what they have to say. Since its launch in 2014, the 1017 Project has donated over 1.2 million servings of hamburger. 
It's a program that raises rope and steers. We have lease cattle, jackpot steers, and we, when we're done with those, they transition into the food banks. We've partnered with over 65 different food banks between Oregon, Arizona, and Texas. Let me tell you how you can be a part of it. This winter in Arizona, if you have a steer that's a ducker or a dragger or breaks a horn, something that would cause him to not be useful as a rope and steer, think about donating him to the 1017 Project. You can also find out other ways to be a part of making a difference in the lives of the food insecure families who need our help at 1017project.com. We know that breeding horses is a gamble and you're about to invest a year of your time and your money. There's 25 million studs to pick from. Where do you even start? One fine vintage is a stud that's 15-1. He's the perfect size. He's the perfect shape. He's won over $135,000 the National Rain Cow Horse Association. He's about as versatile as you can get. His babies are dominating in the rope horse futurities right now. You take what's already a little bit of a risk and a little bit of a gamble, and you make that a much safer proposition with studs like One Fine Vintage. You can find him at onefinevintage.com and at all social media platforms. So you come down here. What was your first year with Casey down here? You know, oh seven probably. Oh yeah, right there when we got married and stuff. And, and did you, did you instantly know, like, oh, this is different. Like, I want to, I want to be here. There's opportunity here, or was it? I just want to come be on vacation while I'm here. No, I, I didn't. You know, that was right before kind of we got the start of the UBRC. But I knew I wanted to be here because I knew I just I didn't want to. Like I said before, I, I don't want to drive horses on the roads. I just I wanted to be. It was the weather was yeah. was really that what got me, and then from there. Then we went back up and, and spent, you know, a good handful of winters, you know, going to Laramie, Wyoming when it's below zero and, and doing the Wrangler Opens. And that was great. Mm -hmm. and it was a good job and, and all that was good. But then, you know, like in the last three, four years, then we kind of, you know, saw we need to be down here in the wintertime or for us yeah. because there's people flocking down here so we can kind of follow them like carnies sure. and put on our events and not have to be up north where the snowstorms are going to muck us out sometimes. Well, if you're able to stay stationary, that's one thing. Right. Even if even if you don't love 50 below, but you don't have to be driving in it. Right. Well, hey, when you're on the road and it's icy and yeah. you've got animals in a trailer, yeah. like that'll give you gray hair. Right. It's, it is. Right. That's a different kind of stress. It, I mean, this winter at, at the semifinals over there, got in a Texas ice storm. Mm -hmm. Never been in one. It's no joke. It's, it's worse than going over McDonald Pass in Montana or something with the snowpack and driving down off there. I don't think people that have been in it, that haven't been in it, would understand. Like, you can be stopped, dead stopped, and start to slide. Right. That's different than a hard snowpack that you right. can still drive on. I mean, you can, the ice is like the top of a pond. And if in those roads, you don't realize how graded they are they going are. around the corners yes. until you're on one. And yeah. hey, it's, 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 it's real. real. Yeah. yeah, it got my attention. I, I just was, yeah, crazy. So, um, you're staying longer this year. Yeah. The tell the barrel races this year, biggest you've ever had. Is this the biggest season you've had since you started it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're just coming out of the woodwork and, and I mean, you I, know, it's Arizona, just, Arizona is changing uh, bigger than that. The Western world is changing because right. our ropens, the way it used to be in the North is that people would rope all summer and cave up in the winter. And what we saw the last two years, and I'm curious if Montana's this way, we actually saw people conserving their spending through the summer right. to make sure that they could be a part of Arizona in the winter. Right. That's a different, that's, I mean, that is like north, north is south, up is down, left is right. Everything is backwards. When people are saving money in the summer in the good weather months, right. to make sure, that tells me that there is a cultural thing happening mm -hmm. 
that's shifting in the team roping world, the rodeo world. You see, like I said, younger people now. Yeah, they're um, the doing people, it. the people that flock here, like I mean, you see people I haven't seen in ten or fifteen years here. For sure. And so the barrel racers are here now. Yes, it's a it's a lifestyle. I mean, that there's people that are sad when they have to go back north home. Yeah, and they're pumped when it's. July, August, man, when are you leaving to go south? I mean, yeah, it's the conversation. Yeah, and I've had to watch myself and be like, I better enjoy and pay attention to what I'm doing right here, right now. That's right? So good. That's so good. I'm I say, I'm saying, I can't be thinking. Once it gets July, I'm, I feel like we're on the downhill slide. Right. Like, hey, let's get ready. It's better. Yeah. yeah. So well, and I don't much. want anybody to ever feel like that I abandoned Central Oregon. Right. Because. The roots are still there. My wife yep. was still raised there. We yep. still are very active in the community yep. there. So for to your point, I have to be careful because I get so naturally right. There is a natural occurring excitement mm-hmm. to feel like that, like like mm-hmm. Woodstock is about to happen. It's again, exactly again. right. Um, and I feel it. Yep. But I don't want it to feel like at the expense of what goes on there. Right. It, but 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 naturally, it's easier for me to get excited about like, yeah. hey, winter's coming. You're going to see everybody again. Right. I, I agree. I mean, I mean, you got your straw on, your spurs are jingle jangling, got them in the Texas hole. I mean, and you're driving your dually around. I mean, it's just what goes on. Well, and at a time when Bend, Oregon, the big city that's near us, is going the opposite direction. They, like, outlawed duallys in downtown. And I'm like, hey, you know what? It's mutual. <laughs> I'm good. I don't right. even want to be there anyway. Right. Ben, you can have Ben. Uh, so it's really pushing more towards, like, suburbia towards sort yeah. of the feel. Which is, it's fine. Powell Butte, where we're at, it's not that way. Prineville certainly isn't. Redmond's not. But, right. like, the, the prevailing city there is. Right. You come down here, and the prevailing culture is, yeah. if I walk in with a set of spurs on, yeah. it's not out of the ordinary. That's kind of just part of the culture. It right. doesn't feel like, it, you don't feel anti-cultural. Right. So, what's the plan as far as, as, far as seasonal? Are you going to try to just, like, base your calendar quarterly? Are you going to follow, like... I'm so glad people did this. They figured out you can put big events on around the national finals. Right. Because forever, the national finals was the only thing mm-hmm. happening in Vegas. Now mm-hmm. it's got the World Series finale. You mm-hmm. guys do a barrel race out there. Yep. The junior, like, what a brilliant move to make that two weeks an experience where you get more travel. Right. Vegas sees it. They're putting more money in mm-hmm. from the heads and beds. Mm-hmm. Um, is that an idea that you can replicate around other bigger events? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I can even, you can even see it. Uh, and just a professional rodeo, let's say um, the Nile. Okay, so now um, Lana Tibbetts puts on an event during the Nile in Billings, and and that that's a great big rodeo. But now she, you know, she comes in with an American qualifier and and has that big event. So that's a perfect example and a, and a great model, like you're saying right there. So then I see well, that and where if I can you, follow events around. If you're a barrel racer and you're going to drive all the way to the Nile Rodeo, you get to run one time, or right. you can go up there now and go to a jackpot right. and a rodeo. Now your fuel is literally cut in half because you've made two events yep. out of the trip instead of one. Yeah. So the producers are doing that, and or um, you know I see you know barrel racing producers that are maybe trying to get ahead or, or even behind somebody on a week and maybe and be in a little different facility because mm-hmm. those facilities are, are paying attention to. I'm not going to stack somebody on top of you on, you know, same event right. wise, which is great respect for everybody. But if you can kind of get in the, in the same kind of spot right there yeah. where these guys or girls can come over and make it worth their well, while. 50 miles away right. is still reasonable. If you're driving five or 600 miles yeah. and you can go to two, I mean, there's ways to stack it in a way yeah. that doesn't pull away. Right. 
Alvarado and Glen Rose. Yeah. They had two big junior Caffrey opens that went on at the same time, which would seem like a competition, mm-hmm. except that there were people that would come down from Colorado and yeah. Utah and because they could go all the way there and go to two within the same driving right. distance. Right. So that's just like, you know, like, like the semifinals. There's a lot of stuff going on around it now. You know, if you're going to go to Texas in February, you're going to get pretty good bang for your buck. You can, mm-hmm. you know, like coming out here on your way to, you know, yeah, to Vegas the, week. Yeah, later. I mean, it's, you know, now we're starting to see, you know, if I can catch the, the barrel racers coming out that are either, you know, going to the big time or they're going to the all-in or they're going to wherever they're going to do, um, you know, catch them on the way. I won't say names because I'm not sure if I'm allowed to, but I was talking to somebody that's old. He's a, he's a steer guy. And he was talking about the old time team roping producers back in the day and that when they would get into competitions with each other, they would build an event. And as they would build an event, they knew it was coming before they'd announce it. They would rent other facilities oh. that same weekend so that nobody could have their event over top of them. Right. And then once it was within 60 days or whatever, whatever the contract was, yeah. company, you know, they would back out. But at that point it didn't matter because right. you can't build an event. Right. It, it is so much more. So much more cutthroat than I would have just assumed. Right. And then as soon as he says, I'm like, ah, I guess, I guess that makes sense, man. Yeah. It, you're, it's, I know that's how business works. But um, <laughs> is the relationship amongst barrel racing producers is it getting better, or is it if you okay? Option A, everybody works together and you're friends. Option B, right. you're in facilities, keep other people out of the area. Yeah. No. I mean, <laughs> are you? Would you? Would you say that barrel racing producers are closer to A or B? Well, I'll say this in Arizona, so. Just like the team ropings, there's eight of them to go to, right? Or whatever the number is. There, yeah. There's two or three. Sure. Okay. Well, then barrel racing, there's two or three you can go to on a Saturday, right? But, and now, you know, people say, well, barrel racers aren't going to run their horses twice. And I, you know, I, I get that whether you do or you don't. You right. know, some run on Lasix and some don't want to run twice. And, sure. and that's probably more the majority. But, um, you know, I get people that come from Duns maybe to come see us. And mm-hmm. horns and hooves or vice versa they're working it they're down here for the two weeks they want to get runs in right there uh, it's 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 different down here because we kind of got to get it when we can get it and have those right. events now right. in the north in montana where you know i could speak for right there you know we try and 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 really do let's not go over the top of each other yeah right yeah let's play nice right well you know everybody gets a bigger bite of it that yeah way. i mean you're gonna have a tuesday night in white hall and a tuesday night in haver or whatever Okay, for people well, that aren't from Montana, how far apart are those two locations? Yeah, I mean, what's that? Um, five hours. Yeah, so no competition. No, that, that's fine. Okay. But on a weekend, if it's a three-day event and it's a 20-year established event, probably going to so, stay away. So we had a deal, and I hope it's okay that I'm talking about it. I'll, again, I'll leave names out of it, but our roping started to do really well up there. And it was two-day roping. Some weekends were two days, some days were one, just depending mm-hmm. on the weekend. But um, we actually had some people get frustrated. And you know everybody. I mean, the Northwest, right. you're going to see everybody. And and you're going to – it really – the longer you're up there, the more you realize it's worth it to invest in peace because yes. life is too long to just start creating fences around yourself. And and that's something I hopefully I'm getting better at. Mm-hmm. But we had, a, we had an old established roping that was 330 miles away. And they called and were frustrated and we'd already scheduled it. And like, I was like, gosh, you just, you're not trying to blow stuff up, but it's crazy how old established events right. need to keep pace. Yes. Because there's so much new money and yeah. new momentum and new events and yep. better technology and more money and more. Like, I think that an old established event has the same responsibility to keep pace mm-hmm. 
as a young hungry guy who comes in and goes, I'll give twice the money away. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever. So that's kind of how capitalism works right. is that the market is dictated by the consumer. Mm-hmm. And then, but I don't know, that's here. I guess that's here or there. Well, it's like anything, but you have to reinvent yourself, right? I mean, you guys have reinvented yourself and some things that you're doing and in, in all of our, you know, business, we have to start coming up with new and different ways for the hook. Well, I enjoy that. I enjoy right? innovation. I really, I yeah. really do enjoy innovation. And, um, I got a buddy that's a retired Marine and he said at their, at their events and things that they would do, sometimes they would fly like an old plane over or they bring an old tank down the road. And their point was, we remember where it came from. We still have a connection to how it started. Right. And like the old timey traditional, like we still get it. However, also look at this new thing we just came up with and it's all sort of, yeah. you know, it's all part of the same symbiotic old and, and new, but I just have always felt drawn to whatever is the new innovative. Mm-hmm. I like when somebody comes up with an idea and mm-hmm. everybody goes, why did we not think of that? Right. And the reward for thinking of it is right. the market. Yes. I mean, we did a, we did a website this year, mm-hmm. ropeencounter.com, shout out. Yep. Uh, but 200,000 page views, 40,000 yep. users. And the thing that excites me the most about that is that it's innovative. It's new and, right. it, and it worked. Right. I think it's a disadvantage when someone's been doing something a certain way for so long and Mm -hmm. so much of their income is tied to that and their financial security is tied to it. It's a risk for them to make a change because what if it doesn't work? Right. And so in that regard, advantage to the new guy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't say that that's right or wrong. I mean, more new things fail than old for sure. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, every now and then a new thing comes along and you have Rancho Rio built 10 years ago that has changed the state. Right. So... There's probably, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is there's, there's a balance. I, I get one to play nice, but at the same time, there's, there's a competition that drives the market in a way that's positive. Yeah. I mean, there's people are hustling now and if, if they're really diving into it, um, they're coming with, you know, the, the new technology, um, you know, different ways to, to, you know, to make the race better format wise. And, you mm-hmm. know, what can we do that's, that's different that will make these guys or girls hook. So, uh, Bob over there, horns and hooves. That mm-hmm. arena's been up. Is this the third year that yeah, it's been up? Yeah, third or fourth? Fourth, yeah. I mean, they were going year two so before we came in. Is that that's home base for what you guys do down here for the day to day stuff, or has been? Yeah, for the for the weekend stuff, right? Yeah. And then we go to Queen Creek in in March for our big time event. And so, when you say that you sold the association, is that what horns and hooves was? Is, is are you done there, or will you? transition to something different there. No, right. No, that's a, that's a separate thing. Um, the UBRCs are our events, uh, you know, eight events that we own, plus, uh, uh, you know, our national finale. And then we have our gunslinger during our barrel of gold, which is, you know, that's a 29-year-old event that my aunt and uncle started back in the day. Oh, wow. Passed it on to Casey and I. We added the gunslinger, which is, uh, uh, you know, high entry fee, high payback. It, it was something that, you know, we just to kind of – I want to see higher entry fees because then we can make bigger, bigger payoffs to these racers. Well, and that's, that's the thing that blows my mind is that higher entry fees comes with a stigma. But when you look at the payoff, it's really hard to anybody to actually make anything without higher fees. Right. You've got $100,000 pickups, $200,000 trailers, $200,000 horses. Mm-hmm. And, and, and someone might say, well, yeah, but I'm not driving that. I'm not driving a $100,000 truck. I don't have a $200,000. My horse cost me, you know, $6,500 and I train. I, I get it. Right. Even more so. Mm-hmm. The only way you're going to actually see people financially getting ahead mm-hmm. is to take the entry fee margin and see that increased. Right. Uh, I have been spent years of my life scraping by. Mm-hmm. I get the argument. Mm-hmm. I get that it's hard. Right. But 
you guys having higher fees isn't shutting down barrel races with lower fees. There's still a place to there's go a, sort of perfect your craft. That's exactly what I say. There, there, there's a place for the $30 jackpot. I mean, I, we, we still do that. Yeah. But for me to be able to pay 80% back and have you come in here and win big-time money that could really help you along and, you know, do something like that. And I get the biggest kick out of it is my competition thing now where I don't want to compete – but I love I love watching my wife compete, and I yeah. love watching these girls win big the money. The joy, the joy yes. of seeing it. And whether it's the best run, like I love watching a girl run a sixteen eight on a standard. But that girl that runs a four or five D time, I mean, I want her to to win so bad and well, do so, so like well. Watching the seven rope, and it yeah. is a different kind of joy. There is than somebody who wins a lot winning more. I, I like that too. Yep. I mean, when Haley Kinzel yep. wins the American, you're like yep. that horse is so unbelievable. Right. That is awesome. Right. When Deborah. Takes her horse that she's been working yep. on, and she gets a fifty dollars check. You yep. can't tell me her excitement is a different ingredient. It's mm -hmm. the same joy, it it's is. the same sort of excitement because she's seeing a, a return on her work and effort. And when the seven and a half ropers come in and they win their first buckle, yep. I'm like, to me, right. when I go to bed at night, right. those are the wins that stick with me. I agree, um, but it's the, it's the same joy at a seven and a half open as it is the guys that win the U.S. Open or whatever. So, what it what I think is interesting is to get someone to watch it or to get fans or to kind of create some momentum. Right. It's hard for a fan to enjoy that moment with the lady who won $50 yes. in the same way as a fan would be able to enjoy someone winning a hundred thousand dollars. Right. So, so by creating the big purses, by creating the big payoffs, mm -hmm. that's what a casual observer mm -hmm. will sort of like stand over the fence to watch. Yeah. So it's helping the sport to have the big payoffs Yeah. without eliminating the lady who's just like, overjoyed their horse had a good day for sure i mean i i really and truly and you know people you know just i tell them i mean it when i say i love to see that person get that winning and doing that thing like that yeah, yeah. i wish there was a way i mean i not to eliminate the number 10 ropers because they're great too mm -hmm. i mean i'm friends i'm personal friends like with everybody that goes to our ropings but the seven rope, and I wish there was a way to just capture that and have a day where it was just that. I wish there was a way to, to somehow manufacture that. I don't know how you'd do it, but right, like, okay, so okay, I have a I have a, a question, and maybe this is the dumbest thing anybody's ever asked about barrel racing, but is a five D horse a horse that failed out of the one D, or is a five D horse because you look at breeding programs and people that are putting all this money in stallion incentives and all this money that's going into the breeding. Mm -hmm. Do you think that barrel racing has gotten to a point where there are people that are targeting that two, three, four D horse, mm -hmm. or do you think everybody's trying to create a one D horse and the leftovers trickle down? Well, I, I, I think that these girls, you know, it's either a price point or, you know, the God given talent of this horse or whatever, but there's girls that, you know, have a horse that is just going to be a two D horse. Maybe it's a speed thing or, or whatever right there, but every horse has a story and, you know, every horse has a purpose in that way. So I, I just think that, you know, everybody and, and people are in their, you know, time of their life, whatever it is. I mean, uh, well, I guess, so I guess what I'm asking is, is there a day and maybe today, maybe never, maybe in the future, but is there a day where somebody has a stud that maybe wasn't the fastest thing in the world? He's really gentle and easy to train, easy to along with. Right. And a mare, same thing. And the person says, okay, I don't even want to create a one D horse. Mm -hmm. I want to purposefully target mm -hmm. that two to three D or is that a wasted amount of effort? I don't know if they think that in the back of their mind or up in the front of their mind right there. I just, watching these barrel racers, 
for the most part, they just love their horses no matter where they're at. You know, they yeah. they they just it, it, maybe they maybe they bred and raised that horse, or they went and bought it from somebody. And because right. man, I, I want to have that horse, and and they just love it. Yeah, no matter well, what its skill level is, and that's an easy energy to metabolize like yeah. that's an easy when someone is that excited about something did yeah. you see the video i ought to try and find it there's a video of a guy the team open journal shared it he's riding like a roan or a something horse he'll pull that video up i think here in a second i've never seen this happen ever before to your point mm -hmm. they won the 8.5 at the ustrc finals this week did you see this video no jacob i think if you'll google 8.5 ustrc team rope and journal maybe it'll pop up maybe it won't guy comes around there ropes Gets two feet, gets his dally, mm -hmm. leans over, starts hugging his horse. Yeah. No kid, like hugging him. Yep. Gets off, hugs his horse. You bet. I don't care if you've never seen team roping yeah. in your entire life. Yeah. You can watch that. And like that, that guy is an ambassador for the sport of team roping right. because he's not trying to be cool in that moment. He is just overwhelmed. Like this is like I'm just thanking. His horse, the, not I've just never, transportation or recreational vehicle. Like, you can tell, like, his gratitude is being, and I will see if I can find it, but um, I wish there was a way to tell that story because, like I said, every horse has a story. That's awesome. I instantly am like, I wonder what that horse is like. Right. What, what, all of a sudden, Why? I'm driving to it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you What do you do? Is there ever a day where they're selling out arenas to watch barrel races, or is it always going to be um, contestant-driven? And what I mean by that is, I love cutting horses. Right. I think it's the coolest <laughs> Absolutely. thing ever. I love riding cutting horses. Yep. I been in that part of the world. I, I love it. Yep. But you go to the futurities mm -hmm. and like the final night, you know, they're you mm -hmm. know but generally right. it's insular. It's the people yep. that are in it that understand what it is. Right. Um is there a day that barrel racing goes from the former to the latter, like where it can be something that has a fan base outside of the people who are participating? Yeah, I mean I think it was advertised right and it's got the right, you know ingredients to do that right there and and even if it is watching the the kingpin top dogs you know but then i there's a spot for that other group right. of watching that and like you said bottling up that you know excitement whatever division they're in whatever run they make right there i i talked to i don't think you'd mind uh here hold on hold on hold on, hold on. i think this is it uh Sorry, I'm just now I'm just distracting everybody. Well, but we'll do this later. Um, I think that I lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? It was I lost it. Anyway. People love their horses. People love their horses. There yeah. you go. Well, and I, I think that's something that that the young girls. Oh, I remember what I was. I was talking to Bobby Moat during the WCRA thing, and he was saying this. He was saying it is so much easier to want to build events for the breakaway ropers right? because how truly grateful they are. Yep. They are genuinely grateful. They'll yep. help you promote. Right. He said the barrel race is the same thing. He says it's like almost sometimes the, the contestants get so used to being the featured act mm -hmm. that they don't necessarily participate or, 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 or in, the same, in the same manner. Right. And I wonder if that's not an easier culture to get behind in the barrel racing world when yeah. you see – like the little girl at the American semifinals mm -hmm. is 12 years old. Like, yeah. dude, I wanted that girl to win so bad. Right. Like that little red horse. And so to your point, I think I, I would I would love to think that there's a way to connect the world. Right. I mean, we're very media conscious. What mm -hmm. we do, everything I do has a media element to it. Just to think someday there'd be a way to tie, you know, a little girl that's sitting there in Australia. Right. That has a dream of someday. Like I I think there's enough of a storylines. Yeah. Real, yeah. Real How do ones. you if you were going to try to connect the two, I mean, is how, where would you 
I'm asking a very ethereal question here. I know. Mm -hmm. How would you start if you're going to try to build a media business to promote the sport of barrel racing? Right. Where do you start? I'd hire up. I'd get people smarter than me in there and stick them in all the different areas. Yeah. And let's team up and let's, you know, let's do it. I mean, uh, my mom taught me that a long time ago. I mean, you hire up, you get better, smarter people and you get that team put together and then we can build a product, you know, um, to have, you know, high paybacks and the great facility and the whole show yeah. and make it truly something special. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think that's kind of always in the back of my mind and who knows what will come of it. But Jacob and I talk actually a lot about it of there's a, there is a media outlet mm -hmm. that exists in the world and there are amazing equine related stories that exist in the world. Right. And they struggle to intersect. Right. I mean, this is the first time in my lifetime that the cowboy thing is kind of mainstream is because of Yellowstone and mm -hmm. which, Hey, I'm for it. Mm -hmm. I'm for it. If it's bringing attention, but it only tells one specific scripted element. Right. Um, some of my favorite stories are the little girl who gets a horse that's not supposed to do good and yep. still does good. Yep. And the support that they get from the, you know, the, the big time barrel racers and things like that. Right. So, I think in the back of my mind, I'm always kind of poking from the outside going, man, how, how I'm giving, I'm giving a secret away here, but do you know the story about the Ferrari club? No. So if you build a Ferrari, it's a $500,000 car. You could argue it's the best car on the planet. Right. Easily, easily one of the most recognizable cars on the planet. And Ferrari comes in and they go, um, Hey, we're, we're building cool cars for sure. But the problem is this, who's going to buy a Ferrari? Right. I mean, you're a very limited marketplace. Mm -hmm. Like your margins are tight on the people who can afford one. And if the people can't afford one, will they and even at that? So they said, well, what let's do is let's develop a Ferrari club mm -hmm. where we sell keychains and hats and jackets, sort of like, you know, Ferrari car adjacent. Right. And what happened was people identified with the brand so much so that they started buying these little things till now. Yeah. The me, the Ferrari Club makes more money than the the car company does. It surpassed okay. it because the little small bite size, right? You know, and like that's a media thing. Right. That is a media promotions thing. And so, um, I always every time I think of an event that has got such cool stories, whether it's cutting the rain, mm -hmm. I, I love I love horses. I mm -hmm. love the stories of people. Um, I think rodeo is a storytelling culture. Right. I'm always thinking like, man, what what what's the Ferrari Club? For the right. race and how do you give that girl that's not going to be able to buy a horse maybe yeah. she's not gonna be able to come to wickenburg but right i mean what still, is still what's something little... she can hold in her hand right. what's a tangible thing right like when i go on vacation i want to be able to bring something back yeah. with me i want to be able to hold something from my experience branded there. from wherever you're at yeah. yeah yeah i don't know so i think it'd be interesting to know if, if there's a blue skies in the barrel racing world to mm -hmm. somehow attach people to that right and i think i think we instantly go to how do we get a person on a horse and it's like uh Right. I mean, you're taking a giant risk. That's <laughs> there's so much liability with that. Right. If you can sell someone a, a trinket of some sort, yeah. you, you know, and to do that, you have to be able to follow that person enough. Like that girl sitting in an apartment in Manhattan, mm -hmm. Manhattan. Right. She has to have enough content on this person that she's following to mm -hmm. feel like she's actually getting to follow the story, not right. just like you know, see them on the short round once every couple of weeks. Yeah. It's uh, you know, me. It's getting better though. I mean. Better now than ever in any time in history. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, summer plans. You go home. And I don't, this probably won't air until, I mean, I don't know when we, this is, I don't know, eight or nine and we're releasing them, you yeah. know, delayed. But when you yeah. go home, go home for the summer, what's the next big, I mean, what's your next point of focus? So, just uh, taking care of the UBRC we're on for this year to, you know, um, 
so at this point when this is aired, um, just getting to all of the events and we are there to just keep doing what we do. And then of course, getting ready. Um, and you know, the, the events already set in place, you know, for our big time events, um, to, you know, be ready to go to, um, like Stephenville, Texas in September, and then, you know, right back over here and, and take care of all those, the majors that we're putting together. Is the Stephenville facility, I don't think this is insider baseball. I think you could talk about this. Mm -hmm. It's gone through some change in, in ownership, and it seems like that facility is the weirdest thing. It's a good facility, but it's in the heart of every equine event person that exists in the world for a long time. Not so much now, but mm -hmm. for a long time. And that facility has struggled. But at the same time, it seems like that's where everybody wants to be. What, what, is, what is the advantage to being in Stephenville for you guys? So the advantage for me is... We actually are going to the 377, which is Jackie and T. Woman's place that they're running now. So um, the pro rodeo is going on over at Brand X on that weekend. Yeah. We're over at 377. And that facility is fully done now? Uh, no. It? It's so you're so this is what be, I mean. When I say yeah, innovation, yeah. the young guy, I say young guy, the yeah. young event coming up mm -hmm. that is innovative and hustling and hungry. Mm -hmm. This is you in Stephenville because mm -hmm. you are going to a facility that's not even finished yet. Right. You guys are on the cutting edge of a cutting edge facility that's mm -hmm. just right down the road, just yep. straight between. It's Correct. between what they, whatever they call it. It's Brand X now is the facility yeah. in Stephenville, um, north of there on the highway. So mm -hmm. I mean, this is like the new of the new of the new. Correct. And that's in September during the last one of the last pro rodeos of the season which was also a marketing brilliant marketing move to, to stick move it right that rodeo there as the last rodeo of the in year in the cowboy capital it's genius everyone wants to be home that week anyway right so i went and booked that spot and they're all going to be in town not only them meaning the wpra the pros yeah but now our 2 3 40 5d girls can all show up absolutely and let's run against the best in the world but we'll have a d race it's a big time. That format has already been, you know, proven. It's totally different how we pay that off and give you so many chances to win money. And we're right there. So having, okay, so then the obvious question would be, and I know you've got an answer for this, but you said you want to go to establish facilities with dirt. Mm -hmm. The dirt is an important part. Mm -hmm. How have you, because I know you've thought of it. I'm yep. curious what you're thinking. Yeah. Is, someone like T and Jackie that have been yep. around forever. They yep. know dirt. They know, I mean, you, you're getting very educated input from right. people like that. Correct. How do you predict what the dirt's going to be where it's not even finished being built yet. So they're going to have uh, X amount of events, meaning they're already going to have barrel raced on that thing for 60 or 90 days right. on weekly races. Plus, um, you know, if they've shoved in one other bigger barrel race. So and, there's time for data it, collection. There's time for that to be able to watch that. And like you said, uh, you know, Jackie and T, I'm obviously leaning on their expertise and I just don't, I know 100% they're not going to put their name. They're going to want to make right. it right for everybody. No, for sure. So I'm, I'm going in there with that expectation of like, okay, it's going to be tested and people are obviously going to be watching and I'm going to go in there in September and I mean, I'm knowing it's going to be right. So for the girl sitting in a snowbank in yeah. Montana today, yeah. right now today, yeah, and she's going like, man, I got to get out of here. And yeah. everybody's always said, Texas, Texas, Texas. Right. Everybody's always, oh, okay, Texas. Right. And Texas, having grown up there, uh -huh. the, the cultural difference is that it's a marketplace. Oh my it's gosh. like the street in New York where it's marketplaces on both sides. You go there to sell what you've got. You go there to compete. You go to kind of measure yourself against the world. Right. And it is very unique in that regard. Mm -hmm. Very cutthroat, but very unique in that regard. But mm -hmm. it's not a village type feel. It's definitely a marketplace. Right. Arizona, in my opinion, is like a cruise ship where nobody's from here, but everybody's happy to be here. It's definitely more community uh, 
minded. Yeah, every day is a Saturday. It, it, there you go. So if a, if there's a girl sitting in a snowbank and she's saving her money right now, mm-hmm. where do you tell her to invest her you know two week road trip? Where do you tell her to go? I tell her to go to Arizona. And okay, and I assume that was the case because I would say the same thing. Right. But what's your what's your what reasons would you give that girl for why here instead of Texas? I think just the experience of of everybody's in not la la land, but it's just uh it's a great place to come for a for a and, and I tell these girls that even it's a great place to come because if you want to come down here and you want to run the barrels, you can do about every day. You can ride your horse outside in that desert, yeah. which is a great thing that girls like to ride and do that sure. kind of stuff. Go to the wash. Yeah. So you get you a couple gal pals and you come down here and again, you can go eat Mexican food every night. You can, you know, drink your margaritas and, and talk about the runs and, and go back. It's, it's a social spot. So, and that's, that is an important detail because I, you know, again, having lived there, it is possible to go to Texas and not know where to go, where right. to enter, who to talk to. Right. You can be neck deep in water and dying of thirst. Into, it is possible. Now, that's not saying everybody has that experience. That's not oh. what I'm saying. But it is an easy place to yes. go and be lost in a crowd of people. Right. And then the two weeks is up and you're like, I don't really feel like I ever got into it. Right. I never feel like I really broke into the mm-hmm. thing. Like thing. I, I didn't meet anyone famous. I didn't go right. anywhere. Like I didn't know where to go. Right. It's almost like if you're going to go to Texas, you need a tour guide. Oh, I really, 100%. You, you really do. Yeah. As opposed to. I think it would be very hard to come to Arizona and not feel like you got the full experience in two right. weeks. You, you're going to meet everybody. Yep. You're going to bump into people. You're going to have people invite you over to dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you just want to have a two-week window where you're escaping winter, yep. I think it's an easier place to discover Easy. quicker. Yeah, that's that's right. That's the right word. It's just easier yeah. to just get around. Like you said, I mean, umpteen times, and you know this, people inviting you over to their place. Right. I mean, you know, when we were – living in a horse trailer. I mean, we never missed out on a Thanksgiving or even when we didn't go home for Christmas, you right. know, we got to go to church. We got to do the things that, that, that we did up there and tried to keep it the same. Yeah. Uh, and, and then we're able, you know, the next day to go somewhere and, and be able to, you know, feel at home. I mean, uh, Bill and Jennifer Davis, I mean, every time invited us over and so many, you know, people that just, you know, wanted us to, right. to feel comfortable. Well, for us, shout out Brad and Shelly Santucci. We yeah. stayed at their place, and they like they'd have us in for dinner at night. Right, we rope at their place, and like my wife is very, very, very almost to a fault conscious of not wanting to be in people's way, yeah, or be an inconvenience, yeah, be a mess or anything like that. They just went above and beyond to have us in, and yeah. they just love on us. And we spent two winters, you know, really plugged in at their place. But right, it that's a very lovable part. Isn't of the it culture here? Isn't it where you're expected to be part of a community? I right. know, I know every single one of my neighbors right. in every direction. Yeah. Um, it it's very so the north. That's the one thing I love the most about the northwest is that it's tighter knit, right? Less individualistic in nature, mm-hmm. more communal minded, and that then in the good weather of Arizona, right? It's cool to see that it is. You'll feel. Let me say this: you'll feel more loved. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not saying it's better or worse. I'm mm-hmm. not saying it's better. Hey, mm-hmm. if you want to go see if you can make the NFR, if that's your thing, you're like, I'm curious if I could do it. I wonder if I could do it. Go there for two you weeks. Get over there and just go, try go there them for two on. weeks. Yeah. Try it. You'll, you'll get yeah. an idea. Yeah. If you want to go somewhere and have a, a positive experience and feel loved right. and feel like that you're a part of a community, and, and to me, the older I get, the more valuable that is right. over the, isn't it? Let me get my knife and go jump in the middle of it. You're right. You're right. It's, yeah. uh, it's great. Hey, uh, obviously, 
I, I've been blown away that people would come in here and chat and visit. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm grateful beyond what I can even say that people are willing to come sit down and visit. So, right. thanks for jumping on. I appreciate it.